Okay, we are in First uh, Samuel chapter 13. We just finished chapter 12, and this is on now continuing on the kingship of Saul. And what we finished in chapter 12 is that he had just been confirmed as king, and there is some period of years between chapter 12 and chapter 13. We don't know the number of years, but it is some considerable number of years between chapter 12 and chapter 13. And there are several indications of this. If you look in chapter 13, verse 1, let's start reading there. Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 42 years over Israel. Now Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash, and in the hill country of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. But he sent away the rest of the people, Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all, all Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and, all, and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were summoned to Saul at Gilgal. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots, and 6,000 horsemen and people like the sand, which is on the seashore in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves and thickets and cliffs, in cellars and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling." Okay, one of the reasons we know that there are many years between the end of chapter 12 and the beginning of chapter 13 is because when he became king, we know he was a young man. The scriptures tell us this. And now he has a son, Jonathan, who is old enough to be leading a part of his army. So some number of years have taken place. We also know that that there, there there are five or six particular points six points that that point this out further. Uh, When we last left off where the Philistines were, that was in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. They had been defeated. They had been pushed back. They were no longer afflicting the land. And now the Philistines have very strong control. They had infiltrated the hill country. And they had also, they had had such strong control that they had even disarmed the Israelites. So, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, they've been pushed back. But now, in chapter 13, verses 19 through 22, they had even de-weaponized the Israelites. The Philistines, it turns out, had, had, had access to iron. The, the Israelites were still living in the Bronze Age. The Hittites discovered iron and kept it, uh, kept it pretty well covered and secluded, and the Philistines had learned it, brought it into that region, but did not let the Israelites learn it. And you can see this in the end of chapter 13. The Israelites had to go and get their tools, uh, 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 get smithed to the Philistines and pay them a lot to have this done. They had not the ability to do it. We also know that in, in chapter 14, verse 21, some of Saul's own people had joined the Philistines. So, a lot had transpired from where we were in chapter 12. We know from chapter 14, verse 29, Saul's popularity was now at a particularly low point. 
and and that's verses that, that that's as opposed to uh, what we had read in chapter 11, verse 12, that many people were were following now King Saul. So now he had gone from a high point in his life to a time when his popularity was in fact very low, and so Saul no longer trusted in God. In chapter 11, verse 13, it talks about how Saul really had some sort of trust in God and had believed that God had brought about a great deliverance. And now he no longer trusted very well in God. And that's in, in, in uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 8, 9, 12, and 14. So if you look at this life, there was a period of time here, maybe 10 years, maybe 15 years, but he had all these changes that happened in his life. Now, in, verse thir- in chapter 13, verse 1, my, the New American Standard says Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 42 years in Israel. It's not known exactly what those numbers are, and different translations will say different things. There's two words missing. So, Saul was blank years old when he began to reign, and he reigned blank two years over Israel. So, there's two words missing that have been filled in by different texts, and those are filled in approximately based on other texts where they say, for example, we know the years were of Ishbod, how old he was when he began to reign. That was Saul's son. Uh, but, so these have been filled in, and in fact, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls leave that, first, that verse 1 out altogether. So these are approximations that are filled in. That's why in my, in, in, you won't see it in the, in the NIV because the NIV is a paraphrased edition. You'll see it in, in like the New American Standard or the, or the Revised Standard Version where they'll put those two words, the 30 and the 40, they leave italicized. So we know that those are inserted words in the English Bible. And uh, um, so we don't know exactly how many years, but I want to reflect on this is look at the way a life has changed over a period of a decade or a decade and a half, maybe two decades. Look at the way a life has changed. Something has dramatically happened in his life. You know, lives change over time. I had a a prayer that I prayed a lot when I was right around your age, that I I would pray to God to keep my heart true to Him my whole life. This is not an easy thing to do. Many people seem to you know, get excited about the Lord when they're young and they just kind of drift away and, and this passion is lost. And I didn't want that to happen. I had seen older people in the church that were kind of lackadaisical about their faith and I, I didn't want that to happen. And it's not that we should assume, oh, well, that will never happen to me. Assume that it could happen and pray to God that it doesn't. You know, there's many things that could happen to us. You know, people talk about these young basketball players. They talk about Tiger Woods. Man, if I had the temptations of Tiger Woods, I never would have lasted as long as he did. God bless that man. If I was 18 or 19 years old like some of these basketball players and making $10 million a year, I mean, I don't think I could stand with that temptation. I mean, look, look at who I am. You know, and, and compare, you know, what I look like to what they look like, money that I make, money that they make. And if I was that age, there's no way I could stand. I just thank God, the place that He has had me, and the place that I could come to. But I pray that my life stands the test of time. I want to look at another man, King Asa. If you turn over a few books to Second Chronicles, 
So you see Kings and then Chronicles. Go to the Second Chronicles. We're going to go to Second Chronicles chapter 14. We're going to read a lot from here, so turn on over there and let's, let's look at King Asa. Because here was a man that really started out very good. Really started out very good. Um, and if you look at, look at uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1. So Abiha slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And his son Asa became king in his place. The land was undisturbed for ten years during his days. Asa did good and right in the sight of the Lord, for he removed the foreign altars and the high places, tore down the sacred pillars, and cut down the ashram. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to observe the law and the commandment. He also removed the high places and the incense altars from all the cities and from Judah, and, from the, king, and the kingdom was undisturbed under him. He built fortified cities in Judah since the, uh, since the land was undisturbed, and though there was no war... No one at war with him during those years, because the Lord had given him rest. For he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours, because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and so he has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. Look at this man. I mean, he comes in. So he's the king of the southern kingdom, so Judah and part of Benjamin. And he destroys all the high places, all the altars, everything that these other kings had instituted. This is not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to come in and be radical. You say, well, he's king, he can do what he wants. It's not easy. You have many people around you fighting against you and these sort of things. It's not easy to be a politician. Not easy to do everything that's right. And he was doing it. And he said, and he recognized, he said... um, That... that, uh, it, it says, because the Lord had given him rest. So, here's what Asa said in verse 7. Let us build the cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought Him and He has given us rest on every side. So they built and they prospered. There was a time in his life where he was very active for the Lord. Very active. So, just because we're active when we are 20 does not then mean that we're going to be active when we're 40 or when we're 60. Remember what I said. Don't assume that you're going to remain faithful and on fire for the Lord. Realize that it can be otherwise and pray to God that you don't fall into some sort of lethargy in your faith. So he prospered and he built and he said, God has given us this rest. He recognized God has given this because we have sought Him, and so we've been able to build and prosper. If you seek Him, you will prosper. Verse 8, Now Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, bearing large shields and spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, bearing shields and yielding bows. All of them were valiant warriors. You know, he had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, and little Benjamin had 280,000 men. Because Benjamin was a particularly intense fighting tribe. Um, and it says, often it says, it says in another portion, the men of Benjamin could throw a sling as well with their right hand as with their left. So many of them were ambidextrous and they were men of war. So he had a powerful army here. But in verse 9, now Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots. And he came to Mirasha. 
And so Asa went out to meet him and drew up in battle formation in the valley of Zephapha at Maresha. And Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And talks about how, how, how decisively he defeated a million-man army with his, with his army of about a half a million men. This prayer that Asa prayed shows his heart. I copied this prayer down, this prayer of Asa in, in 2 Chronicles 14.11. I copied this down on a sheet of paper and tacked it up on the back of my door in graduate school. So my first year of graduate school, I lived in the graduate dorm, so I wasn't married that year. And we would have an exam every week in this physical chemistry class, and it was miserable, just miserable. Every week he'd give us an exam. I mean, isn't that cruel? I would never do that. But every week he'd give us this exam, and I would fall on my knees and pray this prayer before I would leave my room. Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you, and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God, let no man prevail against you. And that was my prayer, leaving my room every day that year, that first year of graduate school. Tremendous love for the Lord. And then God sends a prophet after this battle to King Asa in chapter 15 of Second Chronicles. He says, The Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. And if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. I mean, this is pretty explicit. And we love this part. We love this part about if you seek God, you will find Him. If you seek Him, He will be with you. But we hate to hear if you forsake Him, He will forsake you. We don't like to hear that type of stuff. Because God's all loving. And no matter what we do, God loves us. Yes, that's true. But the hand of grace can lift. This is what the Scriptures show us. For many days Israel was without a true God and without a teacher and a priest and without law. But in their distress they turned to the Lord God of Israel and they sought Him and He let them find Him. In those times there was no peace to Him who went out or to Him who came in. For many disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city for God troubled them with every kind of distress. But you be strong and do not lose courage for there is reward for your works." And so Asa goes out in verse 8. Now Asa went and he heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Obed, the prophet that he spoke, and he took courage and he removed the abominable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities which he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He then restored the altar of the Lord which was in the front porch. He goes through all these reforms. This man was really excited about God. Really excited. But years went by, because it, it, it says that he reigned for a total of 41 years. That's a long time. Might he be different at the end of his reign than he was at the beginning? The answer is yes, in particular, about this man. And he's not the only man. 
There are other people like that, like Joash, for example. Started out really good, but things turned bad. And he, he tore things down. He even took his own mother from being queen mother because she had set up some horrid images, it says, in verse 16 of chapter 15. He also removed Maka, the mother of King Asa, that's his own mother, from the position of queen mother because she had made a horrid image as an Asherah. And Asa cut down her horrid image, crushed it, and burned it at the brook Kidron. The guy was really intense with these things. In verse 19, there was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. So, by year 35, the man started to drift away and war started to move in. Remember what we said about the nation of Israel? Like a yo-yo. If they seek God, they will expand. If they don't, they will contract. It's the same in our lives. Verse, chapter 16 of Second Chronicles. In the 36th year of Asa's reign, Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and fortified Ramah in order to prevent anyone from going out or coming in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa brought out silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, who lived in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as my, uh, me, as between my father and your father. Behold, I have sent you silver and gold. Go, break your treaty with Bashan, king of Israel, so that he will re- withdraw from me. So Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel. So what happened was, remember there were two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. There was never a good king of the northern kingdom. You read... The book of Kings, you don't find it. The northern kingdom never had a good king. The southern kingdom had a few good kings. I don't know, maybe, maybe 20% of them, 15% of them were good. The northern kingdom of Israel is coming against the southern kingdom, which is just Judah and Benjamin. Instead of Asa seeking God, instead of Asa crying out and repenting for whatever had gotten him into this mess, what did he do? He paid... He paid Ben-Hadad, so this king of Aram, which was above Israel, he paid them to come out and help him. And so what this king did is he, he went in his, so Asa went in the treasuries of the Lord, took out the gold and the silver, paid off another king and said, deal with this guy for me, I'm your brother. So this other king goes and attacks some of the northern cities of Israel, and this king of Israel realized that I'd better pull back from my attack on the southern kingdom because I've got to protect my own cities here. And it saved Asa. Well, what he did, instead of crying out to God, he took these matters into his own hands. So rather than dealing with things as he did earlier on in his life, he had a whole different strategy. Why bother seeking the Lord? I'll just pay this guy off. Verse 7 of chapter 16. At that time, Hanani, the seer, that's a prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on King Aram, and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians, the Lubim, an immense army, and very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. There's another keeper. 
That's another one you want to write out and put on your wall. That the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. If your heart is for the Lord, He will support you. It doesn't mean you always do everything right, but it means that when you do wrong, you say, God, forgive me. When your heart is for the Lord, He will support you. He will support you in your career. He will support you in your family life. He will support you. And it says His eyes look throughout the entire earth. In other words, He won't overlook you. He will find you. And He will bless you. And He will strongly support you. You will gain much more in your career than you deserve if you seek Him. He will give you more than you could ever ask or think. You know, I was, I was interviewed by a guy this week. He's writing a book on, uh, on guidance for young people in their careers. And he said, did you, ever, did, did you know that you'd get to a level like this? I said, I, had, I hadn't the slightest idea. But this is what God does. He gives us more than we could ever ask or think. He said, who was your hero when you were in high school? You know, thinking I... You know, name some great chemist. I didn't even know a chemist when I was in high school. I, I, couldn't, even, I couldn't even think of who was my hero in that day. I don't know, Kojak? I don't know who my hero was. <laughs> who was my hero in that day? I don't, I don't know who my hero was. God gives us more than we could ever ask or think. This is the promise. Asa should have turned and said, you know, you're right. I blew it. I took all this gold and silver out of the treasuries of the house of the Lord. I robbed God and given it to pay off some pagan king to protect my land rather than crying out to God. He should have fallen on his knees and repented and God would have ministered mercy to him. But look at what Asa does. It's very hard to fathom, but I'm telling you, this is our heart. You want a picture of the human heart? Here it is. In verse 9, you have acted foolishly indeed. Indeed, from now on you will surely have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Look at that. Instead of Asa just receiving this word of God, a word comes to him that he doesn't like. And as king, what does he do? Well, I'm king, you're going to prison. I mean, you put a prophet in prison, you're in big trouble. Because that's God talking. And so often, you know, if a pastor says a word in the church that gets, you know, that's not very, you know, friendly and loving and just coddling us and telling us how wonderful we are, we get all offended. The good thing about young people is you can hit them in the stomach, you can hit them week after week, and they don't get as offended because they're used to getting beaten up. But what happens is when people hit 40 years old, they're like, they feel they deserve something. And you say something to them that should shake them to turn them, and they get offended, and they want to, well, I'll go to a church where I get my ears tickled. And they want to leave. This was a word that came, and Asa sent the guy to prison. <clears throat> rather than to deal with him, <clears throat> deal with the word that was presented to him. He sent him to prison. So it says, he also has started oppressing some of the people. 
Certainly some of the people probably took this prophet's side. Why? They had been seeking the Lord. And he started to oppress them too. Now the acts of Asa from the first to the last, behold, they are written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet. His disease was severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, having died in the 41st year of his reign. So, you see that, that Asa... His heart changed over time. Something happened. What is it that happens? How can you be so excited about the Lord and then turn from this? Why is it that our hearts are so prone to being unteachable? That we feel that we get to such a stage in our lives that how dare that person say that to me? I'm not a college student anymore. I'm... I'm a vice president of a corporation. How dare they say that to me? I'm telling you, this is our hearts. And God sends people in our way to speak to us, to encourage us, to turn us. We hear it on the radio. We'll hear a word preached. If we read the Word of God, we'll fear God because the Word of God constantly confronts us. So what do we do? We put the Word of God away and it's always something else out here's fault. I had a guy come to my office yesterday. So I worked in my office on Saturdays and he, he's gone from my research group. He worked for me a while back and he, he's, uh, he's gone now and he knows that I'm there working on Saturdays and he came in about 9 o'clock on Saturday morning and he came to my office and uh, he said, you know, he stuck his head and he said, do you mind if I talk to you? I said, no, come on in. And he said, you know, I, I'm thinking of leaving my job here in Houston and moving to another state. And knowing that his wife was employed here, and they have small children, I immediately perceived that there's there's something more here. So I said, and and about your wife? He said, oh no, she's staying. I said, you you feel like going up to such and such a company and leave your wife and your children here? He says, well, we're having some troubles. So I looked at him, I said, have you had an affair? He said, well, I was seeing somebody, but that's no more. And I'm just angry, and I, I don't think I can live with my wife anymore. And in fact, we've been living in separate places for several months. I said, you, you are the one who had the affair. You are the one. He was saying, well, you know, my present job, you know, it's nice and everything, but, you know, maybe I shouldn't have taken it. I should have... I'd, I said, what what are you talking about? You're blaming this on your job? You're blaming this on your wife? You are the one who had an affair. You are the one who broke your marital commitment. It is no no surprise why your wife is upset. Doesn't surprise me at all. You are the one. When are you going to stop blaming everyone outside and saying you're angry? You're angry? I mean, imagine your poor wife. I said, does she know about it? He says, yes, she knows. And everything was outside this guy. Because he said, look, I've come to your office because I want to move to such and such a place and I want your blessing. I said, well, you don't have it. You don't have my blessing, not at all. I said, a man fleeing from his home is like a bird who flees from his nest. 
You go home to your wife, you fall on your knees before her, and you beg her for forgiveness. And this is going to take years to work through, to regain her trust. And you get into marriage counseling, and you beg her to forgive you. This is the only solution for you. You don't have my blessing. You go there, I hope your life is cursed. And it will be. And I'll tell you, and I said, here's a picture of your life. 25 years from now, this is what you will be saying. You will look back and you will say, if if you don't follow my advice, you are going to go and you're going to move to this other place and you're going to meet a woman within six months. Because you're a young guy. You can't stay without a woman. Within six months, you're going to be shacking up with another woman. Maybe marry her, and then you'll divorce her, and then maybe marry another, and you're going to have a string of broken wives and broken children, and you're going to look back and you say, my life is miserable. I never should have left my first wife. I said, because I know your wife, and she is a great lady. She is a wonderful lady. He says, you know, I've come to realize that, that you're right. She is a good person, like... Yeah, she is a wonderful person. You're not going to find another one like her. What you're going to find are women that have themselves done this sort of thing. And I said, and I told him, I have seen this again and again with people. I've seen it over and over again. They look back over their lives. They say, I really blew it. I never should have left my first wife. Or you can follow my advice. Go back and rebuild your home. And stop this nonsense that you're going to run off to a different state. Rebuild your home and you're going to look back in 25 years and you're going to say, I am so glad that I rebuilt this. And I gave him the name of three counselors that he could call. And I said, it's up to you, man. Whatever you want to do, it is up to you. It is your choice. But I just gave you a picture of what your life is in 25 years. Either you will be in misery with a string of broken wives, broken women, broken children... Or you can look back and say, I am so glad I rebuilt this. Which picture do you want? Which one do you want to live under? We have this tendency in our lives to just get a word and just reject this. And God's word continually cries out to us. You pray to God that you remain faithful to Him the rest of your life. It says that after the flood... God shortened the lives of human beings. People were living five, six, seven hundred years. He shortened their lives. He says, man shall live 120 years, no more. I'm tired of striving with man. And then in Psalm 90, it says, man shall live, man lives 70 years if due to strength 80. It's giving us an approximate range. It hasn't changed. That was, Psalm 90 was written by Moses. So that was written... uh, uh, 3,500 years ago, 4,000 years ago, something like that, 3,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, it's a long time ago, it hasn't changed with all our medical stuff, I mean, 70, 80 years, that's about it, man, that's what, you, that's what we're going to get, that's all we've got, 70 or 80 years. And it's good, I am glad that God has kept it somewhat confined, because it's hard to walk with God. Day after day after day and not drift away. We've constantly got to get in this book. You will drift away. I will prophesy over you today. I'm not a prophet. But I will prophesy only because of what I read. If you neglect this word, you will fall away. And as you fall away, your marriage will begin to become chaotic. Your home will become chaotic. 
Your children will begin to drift away from you. And your life will be miserable when you get old. That's my prophecy over you today. This is what the Word of God says. But if you keep in this book, in this book, it is that simple. Oh, well, you know, it's so hard to read every day. It is not. It is not. It is hard to run five miles every day. But people do that. It is not hard to wake up and to come and read this book. Do it. Do it. Let this speak into your life because it's going to jump out at us. It's going to say we're doing wrong. And pray to God that you remain faithful to Him the rest of your life. Because what happens is when we harden our hearts to the Word of God, we start moving further away. And then we become oppressive. He put this prophet in prison. Why? Because he could. Because he was king. Well, you put your wife, you put your husband in a virtual prison. You put your children in a virtual prison. Because you can. You become intolerable at work. People will not like being around you. This is what will happen to your life. And instead of that, you know, somehow shocking us, like, wow, my life's falling apart. Generally, what will happen is people will become harder. So that this man became diseased in his feet. I don't know what he got. Probably what we would call gout today. And it says it was severe. If the disease was, says it was severe, I'm telling you, the Bible says severe because it was really severe. And even in his distress, he did not seek the Lord. God in His mercy was giving him this disease in his feet to try to get his attention. So he'd say, God, can't move. That's the difference with David. David was confronted and he said, I have sinned. I have sinned. David took that to himself and he went into the, the temple. He went in, 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 into the temple and he fell before the Lord and he didn't eat or get up. He fasted and he prayed. Fasting, I think it was for three days for this child. You do fasting. Pick up periodic fasting and that will get a hold of you. That will get you excited once again about the Lord. Not while you're fasting, you'll be miserable. But when you get done, there will be a fire there. An excitement. Now, fasting is hard. That is hard. But the Scripture says, Jesus said, Jesus said, when you fast, when you pray, when you give alms. He didn't say, if you fast. If you'd like to fast. No, He said, when you fast. There's an expectation that you will do it. When you pray, when you give alms, that we pray, that we give, that we fast. And the Lord will do something. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. For the truth of your word. Lord, this... This man, Asa, became so hardened over a period of years. He started out so good. Saul started out good. And then things began one by one to fall apart around him. Father, I pray that you keep us true to you. That you keep us ever excited about you. Your mercies abound, I pray. Let them abound, I pray. To keep us ever true to you. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies. I pray for these young people that their whole lives 
they will remain true to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.